When you're working with guys, your languages, your expertise, your skills, that's all great. But once they know they can trust you and you're signing things on their LLC and they come over and the, the questions go away, it's kind of what are we doing together where the integrity part is no longer a question. What's going on, guys? This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show. Thank you for tuning in. Today, our guest is Terry Yonker from Buckeye Realty. Today, we are talking about foreign investors investing in the United States and what Terry and his team provide to their foreign investor clients. Terry speaks four languages, which is really incredible. He lives, is based in Orlando, and he helps foreign investors bring their capital inside the U.S. and get into fantastic real estate properties uh, there in Orlando and throughout the rest of the country uh, with their network. So today, what you're going to learn is if you are a foreign investor, investor outside the U.S., you want to get into the United States, you're going to learn what to look for, what a team like Terry's can provide for you, and some other important details of actually getting your money uh, inside the United States. If you're fr from uh, within the U.S., you're you know here already and you want to learn what foreign investors look for, maybe you're a syndicator and you want to learn more about the priorities of investors from the out from outside the United States, or you're just internationally uh, fascinated and want to know what some something that makes the, the US very special. We talk about that today as well. I've had a great time talking with Terry, and I'm sure you're going to have a great time listening. For those of you who are new to the show, I'm your host, Taylor Lote. I'm a real estate investor. I'm a real estate syndicator. I buy multifamily properties with passive investors and split the return. I love traveling outside the United States. I love getting to know people from outside the United States, learning about different cultures, learning about other ways of life and those kinds of things. So this is fascinating to me. And uh, I learned a lot today. I had a great conversation with Terry and you're gonna enjoy listening, I'm sure. Without any further ado, here we go with Terry Yonker from Buckeye Realty. Terry, thank you for joining us today. Sure, glad to be here. I'm excited to talk with you. Uh, we're going to talk about foreign investors investing in U.S. real estate. This question comes up with some frequency on bigger pockets, and I've had folks reach out to me uh, with questions about it in the past. But uh, you know, before we dive in, can you tell our listeners a bit about yourself and what you do? Yes, yeah, sure. I'm a commercial real estate broker here in Orlando. I've uh, been in the business for 16 years now, and uh, kind of stumbled into the, the foreign investor part as um, having lived in a handful of countries and speak four languages and really enjoy working with them and relating. And so we've kind of gravitated into the space kind of just by happenstance because you tend to gravitate with what you like to do and what you have some confidence in. So yeah, as our business has grown here in Orlando, we've gone more and more into the foreign investor side and we're finding that we can help other brokers, other investors, other syndicators, syndicators, especially in this niche. So yeah, we're, we're enjoying it. Awesome. Awesome. So, I mean, Orlando is a, a great place, you know, just to be, I don't have any investments in Florida at all. Um, but can you give us a, like an intro to that market and what folks, uh, particularly foreign investors might like about Orlando compared to, I don't know, another competitive market, maybe, uh, Miami. Yeah, yeah, sure. And then that's a great question because that's, you know, when you talk to foreign investors, everyone knows Miami. And if, if any of you have been there or done business there, you know, it's very cosmopolitan, very international and uh, yeah, very ritzy. Exactly. Yeah. So we're more typically we've been the more down home Midwestern folk. Like we're more South than Southerners than Miami. Miami's almost more New Yorker and, you know, Latin American than it is 
uh, what you call the South. So this market is more of that. And then our big thing, of course, is we have Disney. And so a lot of the foreigners initially came with roots. They just fly in and out. And even my friends that I would study with or lived abroad with, you know, when they come, they come to Orlando because yeah, they're bringing their kids to Disney World and all those things. So that's where they initially, it's easier for them to tell their people back home or their friends, hey, I'm investing there. And a lot of times they'll start with vacation rentals and just to have a place, even if it doesn't kick out much cash flow or have much margin, just to have their assets in the US and something they can touch, use sometimes and make a couple bucks. It's uh, That's our typical investors, like a lot of Brazilians. Um, we're getting a lot of people from Latin America. They're just trying to get a safe haven, if you will, legally, of course, but just a safe haven just to, to plan it here in Florida. So that's kind of, you know, what we're working with here as opposed to uh, Miami or okay. LA or you know, like the more exotic locales. Gotcha. All right. Well, yeah, caveat, uh, legally is all we're ever going to talk on this show. So. Yeah, right. <laughs> that's right. Legal when you get only. the international stuff with money flowing across borders, I just, you know, it's uh, we want to make sure that's clear. Well, that is an important, uh, you bring up a very important topic, right? Because from my understanding, having not transacted in this space, just a foreign investor, just getting the money into the U.S. legally is, uh, well, let's say, a big hassle or a, ro- a potential roadblock. Yeah, that's what they say. Yeah, yeah, no, and, and that's for sure. And a lot of times, it's the roadblocks come from their native countries because you know countries like China or sometimes they'll put caps on how much they can ship out. And so here it's a relatively easy process, you know, especially once you're moving it in and we use um, currencies direct, which is a a currency exchanger that will actually convert it into dollars and bring it in so that you get dollars through there into an LLC that will set up here with various structures so that they're actually investing with a U.S. company almost as a U.S. person. And then it's kind of takes away some of those restrictions as versus uh, investing as a individual investor from a foreign country. Interesting. Okay. So, you know, I know you're foreign centric guy. I don't know what they say. You, you speak a bunch <laughs> of languages and everything. You've obviously been overseas. I've been overseas. And when you say money changers, right, there's those guys at the airport that take a, an exorbitant fee, right? And I'm sure the folks that you have to do the money, uh, money change are much more reasonable, but you know, what, what kind of a, maybe, I don't know, on a percentage basis or something, how big of an impact is a foreign investor going to have just in making that, you know, currency change. And obviously it's going to depend on a lot of factors, right? But just speaking of the intermediary. Yeah. Intermediary. And again, it's when we talk about this third party, let's, let's call it, you're right. Like money changer maybe is more of a, a street term. Let's call it like a, a currency converter, if you will. I don't know what their official title is, but it's, it's what we want to do is compare it against what is existing. So an existing typically and a foreigner has their bank and they'll send a wire to title company here and back and forth and the banks will hold it for seven days they'll float it or more sometimes and the exchange rates are terrible because that's their of course that's their business so what these third parties do is buy it in bulk and squeeze the margins um as they convert it through so yeah on i don't know a million dollar i mean it can be fairly significant you know like on a million dollar transaction and again, I'll have to defer to my guys. You know, David Nixon at Currencies Direct is my guy, but you could you could be talking twenty, thirty thousand dollar difference. You know, just on using a service versus going straight direct from bank to bank. So I mean, maybe this is a slightly off topic, but one of the things that they, the Bitcoin guys, say is it's so easy to move Bitcoin uh, from you know, but uh, across borders and that kind of thing. I don't know if that's 
quasi legal or whatever, but have you had any, uh, you know, foreign clients attempt to use a cryptocurrency? I mean, is that even possible, like feasible? Uh, it's possible. I mean, and, you know, I've seen in our, our NAR, National Association of Realtors, you know, uh, newsletters on how someone actually bought a house and has transacted in crypto and there are title companies that handle it. I had a couple inquiries with it, but again, I'm, I stay away from it. I'm sure it's, it can be done. I, maybe I'm just not the guy <laughs> to put my toe in, especially cross border, you know, because, uh, but in theory, it's great because you're exempt from all the manipulation that the Federal Reserve does, or in another country's version of Federal Reserve, you know, they're printing it, especially right now, you know, yeah. so it's just a matter of if they're going to hammer down because in a perfect world, that's the solution, right? A crypto that's above all the politics of what goes on and has real value. And that's, I have a feeling they're not going to like that, <laughs> the, <guys, laughs> right. the, the decision makers. So, but yeah, I'd say to your question, no, I haven't done one in crypto. I had one in a couple actually. And I just, uh, I say, look, let's go through here, especially going across borders. I want to run it through my guys and make sure everything is, you know, is through them. Okay. Now you mentioned a bit, uh, quite a bit earlier when we started talking, I want to move away from the money part and get back yeah, into sure. the properties. You mentioned kind of when we started um, about folks buying you know, vacation rentals and maybe not cash flowing a lot. And I feel like one of the common sayings and memes, whatever, is that you know foreign investors who invest in the US are just looking for a teeniest, maybe not even return purely on appreciation. They tend to not care about cash flow. Um, in your experience, is that true? Is that accurate? It sounds like maybe, but I want to ask the question directly. You know, as, as a general statement, it is. It is. And a lot of my guys too, when, uh, when I come across them, even if I catch them after they've already invested here, you know, when you can buy a uh, land even to speculate, right? So if they buy on the West coast of Florida, they would buy a lot for $20,000 that's probably worth 10,000, right? It's hard to believe that exists, right? So when they they buy these things or a lot for 50, that's maybe worth 25, but when they can stroke a check for 100,000, 50,000, 20 and have a lot in Florida, you know, they compare it. I'm thinking of France where a lot of my investors come from. They say, I can't buy a car for this. And here I have, you know, a lot and they come <laughs> and they see it and they love it and everything. And I hate to break it to them when I catch it. I mean, after the fact that they pay double for what it's worth. So you know, these guys, yeah, typically they don't, and again, as a general statement, they're not crunching the numbers like an American investor will that'll say, hey, if I build a spec house on this, what's my return? What's my bank? You know, they've got the financing lined up. It's a little more speculative, if if I may. And then, um, yeah, just like we mentioned before, the vacation rentals are having an Orlando property with, I keep coming back to Brazil because that's the, you know, quintessential in investor where they have their beautiful condo, makes them a little bit of cash flow maybe, but then they can use it twice a year too. So it's not as hardcore. And, and who am I to say, I mean, with, you know, the history of countries like Argentina, where they have, you know, I remember when we were there in, I don't know, 2001, you know, they had what's called the Coralito. And so they would, the government just basically came in and said, no matter how much you have, and the Argentinians will probably correct me on this, but the gist was no matter how much you have in your account, you're only going to be able to keep 10,000. We're taking everything past that. So, I mean, you can't even believe as an American that that stuff happens, but it does. And so then you start to maybe understand more why they would buy all cash, you know, a condo in Orlando that doesn't maybe one, two, 4%, you know, return, but at least then the Coralito can't grab it. You know, it's, it's these eye-opening things when you go to these places and you say, how can this be? Like, how can they just do it? And, you know, look at Venezuela right now. I mean, it's, you know, these uh, socialism comes in there and just destroys people, 
you know, and countries. And so then it's, it opens your eyes to say, wait, now this makes a little more sense, you know, if they overpay for uh, a real asset here in Florida. That's a good point. I, I think, um, you know, property rights being eroded on a daily basis in the U.S. notwithstanding, our property rights for property ownership are pretty good as long as those clients in particular, or any of us, as long as we keep paying the property tax bill, government's not going to come take it unless, you know, barring certain circumstances. But for the most part, it's not going to be stolen from you. Right, right. I mean, there are extreme cases like eminent domain, which you like to think are extreme. But, you know, these are these are tenants that as Americans don't even think of, we give second thought to typically 90% of us probably never think of the sanctity of property rights and how that makes us so special until, you know, you go to Argentina or I don't mean to keep beating up on Argentina, but that's just my example. But other countries where that stuff like that happens or in Honduras, I remember talking about investing in a resort down there in Roatan and uh, Trujillo, which is there in beautiful place. And property rights there are whoever's uncle has the biggest gun because <laughs> you could have all the papers you want. Right. And if, you know, it's one guy's brother is the sheriff. Guess what? It's his property. And so these things that really make you makes you pause and say, boy, we have something special here. And but without that perspective, it's easy to take it for granted. And so that's why I think with these foreign investors, they don't you know, they say, hey, I've got this. I know I have same rights as you or I have. Like when they have the deed to a property, you, you know, you can't just take it. So if someone, you know, coming a foreign investor coming from uh, outside the U.S. looking for an investment property, I'm trying to put myself um, in their shoes and buy an investment property. I find I find Terry on, I don't know, LoopNet, whatever, and send him an email, maybe give him a call, hopefully not in the middle of the night and just say, hey, yeah. I want to buy a property. Um, what what can they reasonably expect from a broker like yourself? And also, you know, what do they need to make sure they bring to the table so that they're <laughs> kind of ready to go and not just wasting your time too? Yeah, I mean, you know, that, that is a great question. And the first thing, the big obstacle is the language barrier often, you know, so we want to make sure that, that you know, they, they know that they can communicate in their native language. And again, with the ones that I speak, maybe it's not, but still, you know, with Google Translate, they can use some tools. And then, uh, yeah, we just try to have a conversation and feel them out because typically if it's the the that normal, I'll call investor, they don't know anything about structures, the LLCs or the things that we talked about. So we try to get them. We'll just talk about, hey, what kind of return? What kind of thing you're looking for? Are you familiar with Orlando? Are you familiar with Miami? Or, you know, what kind of areas are you looking for? And then we just have a process, you know, and we explain it out where we want them to invest as an American in an LLC. So we'll set them up with an attorney that does an LLC. And then there's some... You have to use it. It's helpful to use a third country intermediary for the LLC because there are some estate issues to where you can invest in an LLC, but the U.S. government caps it for foreigners that own it. And if, God forbid, something happens, you pass away, the U.S. government can come in and take it. So we'll use a third country intermediary to own that LLC, and then they can invest as an American, have a bank account here. And that's where sometimes we'll even come in with, uh, if not power of attorney, um, you know, power on their LLC to act for them. And that's getting in, you know, in bed with them a little bit more than a transactional broker. But that's what's le what leads us to more of a, a syndication relationship like that you guys do, which is maybe some of your listeners. This is where, you know, this is more of a natural fit because it's cumbersome when a foreigner owns an LLC and, you know, you're signing things and wires, especially now, like we can't even get them with this lockdown. They have properties to move, but of course, it's, 
you know they have to notarize documents when they own it. Just like when you sell a house, you have to be, you know, get a notary. They can't get a notary. The embassies are closed. The notaries won't come out of their houses in Europe. So we have properties that are stuck. Oh, <laughs> they can't man. get here. So all these things that you know that you never thought of before now become apparent and make the value of having that preset up here in America with that structure even that much more important. This this new variable that got thrown into cross border transactions. While, you know, disappointing now, really, for those of us that can now account for it ahead of time and, and have a structure that I just described, we can operate a little, you know, a little easier um, and gives us an edge to uh, against the others. So uh, that's so wild. I would not have thought of, well, I've, foreign notaries in the first place, let alone, uh, you know, the problem right now with COVID. So they have, we have uh, like U.S. valid notary publics at embassies like it sounds like if i'm getting that right yeah yeah like if you own it as a individual here you can own a property as an individual foreigner no problem and then of course when you sell it just like when you would sell a house or a property is you go in and have to get a notary to sign over the deed so we have the title company and we're ready to sign the deed and just very simply you just need a notary it's no nothing outrageous but they can either go to the U.S. embassy or consulate, and that's U.S. soil technically, so then the, the notary stamps it, no problem. Or there's a, a French notary or a foreign notary that you can use also, or apostille, but they they won't come out of their houses over there. Like, I mean, again, in Florida, and it's, it's kind of, you kind of, when, when you're here, we have some liberty still, but you it's hard to imagine some of these countries, they can't even walk down the street wow. unless it's like for their exercise or whatever it is. I mean, it's 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 martial law over there. And so these variables into the business that we would have never, you know, uh, accounted for are now going forward, going to be part of our, our program for sure. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, hopefully, you know, fingers crossed. We, uh, it's been a hundred years since the last great pandemic worldwide pandemic. Hopefully it's at least a hundred years until yeah. the next one, but it's good to right. prepare in your business plan. So, you know, for those that buy, something like a vacation rental, especially, you know, that's a lot of, a lot of work, you know, compared to buying an acre of land, you know, uh, pay the taxes, whatever, what's going to happen. But a vacation rental, I mean, for many of your clients, there's only so much, you know, even if you guys come on as some kind of an advisor, you're a broker, you're not a a property manager, right? You probably, I don't think you're in the property management business. You're right. You're correct. They're hiring property management and working with them. I mean, is it, is it, it's simply that easy and folks just say deal with the uh, time difference and all of that, or are there yeah, special it's, services it, with those? It's kind of off the shelf. Some of them have package deal where you can't even manage it. Like when you buy mm-hmm. it, it goes into their pool. So it's turnkey geared toward what we're discussing. So they don't have, they don't get to choose. They don't do anything, but it's kind of concierge. But of course the property management companies take a huge chunk. Hence the, one to three percent returns like we're talking about <laughs> and then uh yeah the others you can buy like in, in near disney world you can buy a house or a condo and yeah there are property management companies that you know are on portuguese the whole program and yeah they manage the whole thing but then there you're just along for the ride to where if it's just a straight percentage you know and if it's low rental that month then you lose you still got to pay your hoas they st- just like a regular property owner you still have to pay the hoas taxes maintenance everything so but yeah they uh the property management company or sometimes it's all inclusive so you just come in sign here and it's 
churned into the included property management. So it's, it's appealing to them, you know, and then again, looking at it from their perspective, when things like the Coralito exist, fair enough, you know, that that's pretty cool versus going maybe in rolling up your sleeves with a guy like me, where we dig in and look at properties in like suburban Orlando, like in Maitland, Florida and Longwood, where maybe the spread is higher, but Hey, they can just get a vacation home in Orlando, show their friends come down twice a month. So it kind of clarifies why maybe they're not trying to squeeze every single point out for the most part. Again, I'm generalizing, of course. And, you know, in this vein, you know, we talked about vacation rentals, we've talked about land, we talked about turnkeys, um, which, you know, are, are, are their own thing. How about like um, commercial? I mean, if I was somebody, you know, wealthy from outside the United States that had, I don't know, a million bucks, a couple million bucks, I mean, why not buy, you know, a strip mall? Yeah. Or something like that. I mean, something more, it seems more straightforward, maybe produce a return. Is that common or do they mainly look for uh, like more? That, that is. And that's more like when they get into the institutional side, mm -hmm. right? So like if they go, well, say up to $5 million, it's kind of mom and pop. But after that, exactly right. It's more institutional, the companies that will come in there, even foreign companies, but more institutional guys, not the nickel and dime stuff that we're talking about. And to be honest, that's where the vein that we're going to with all of our guys that are we work with more of the mom and pop type foreign investors. We're pulling them into, as we mentioned before the podcast, you know, syndication so that we play at that level where you're right, a strip mall or even the note, you know, the, the note, the distressed note behind these properties that we can buy at a discount and either, you know, get them performing or sell them on a secondary market. So yeah, that's more, you know, institutional stuff. And when we talk about Miami, very common, like with those guys where they play in there and they'll come in and you'll see the development, the malls or, you know, the mixed use, if you've seen like the apartments with the shopping and everything, they do those types of projects. Absolutely. Interesting. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now, um, kind of in a more, you know, just as a more market-based question, right? We're COVID, you know, has had an impact on every market to at least some degree. Orlando being, as we've said, a huge vacation destination. How has that impacted uh, the market in your observation like it's all i expect yeah, you know, a huge impact right well that's what i expect but it's not the case you know it's disney's shutting down we're having huge layoffs Massive. you know there's vacancies down there um things are just still cranking and it defies logic and i'm trying to i mean i know that they're you know the fed is is pumping money in and, and like ray dalio said you know kind of shared some shed some light on it said that free markets aren't controlling it's not supply and demand anymore it's what the government wants it to be and so we keep waiting for this other shoe to fall and it doesn't i mean sure there's vacancies here downtown you know like you can start to see the vacancies but the actual foreclosures that were that I would expect based on the last go around, like when we had it in 08, you know, where we are in denial as things were starting to tank, but our multifamily is still cranking here, you know, and in the, the Mueller index, if you will look at those, you know, that talk about the life cycles of the different um, real estate sectors, you know, we're supposedly overbuilt in multifamily, but they're, they're going up like crazy and they're not stopping. So I don't, I don't see it. I want to say see it because logically, like, I, you know, you want to be pushed in to say, yeah, of course, the corona has really hit us hard, but we're transacting, we're seeing it going. And I just don't know if that this artificial propping is, is saving us for now. And who's to say, maybe it'll get us until things kind of ramp up and get back to normal. I mean, I'm a, usually more of a free market 
type of guy, but hey, if you can artificially do it and there's no other shoe to drop, who's to say? You know, who's then they put a moratorium, as you know, on evictions and things like that. So everyone's, you know, no one's on the street. There's no real transactions in that form, you know, to where you have all these empty houses all of a sudden and or businesses. And but you know, it's sometimes it's healthy, I feel like, because with landlords that I work with or commercial properties that we lease, they never come down. Like it's never, it's always a built-in increase. And even if the market softens, there's very rarely if ever a logical, hey, let's start to decrease it to kind of help them out. It's always a, I shouldn't say always, nothing's ever, but 99% of the time it's, hey, I have the best place in town. Market's going to come back. They can pay it. They can pay it. It only takes, and then there's a batting of the heads and now there's vacancies, which you see now. And then the lease rates and everything still stay until there's some pain inflicted. And I feel like, in my opinion, that that pain hasn't been inflicted yet because of things like PPP or all these programs, perhaps, because if it's like 2008, then it finally resets. I mean, I remember when we were going like this, at every step, people were in denial and saying, oh, it can't go down any lower. I've got the best place. It can't go down, <laughs> if you recall back then. And uh, so it's kind of, it's healthy. You know, hopefully we'll have a reset and businesses can make money again at these lower rates and uh, and can, you know, go forward again. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, a great recession. I was in college at the time, so I wasn't really uh, mm. paying much attention to what was happening other than I knew the sky was falling to some degree. <laughs> but it, we are, I, f- I feel we are, generally speaking, kind of waiting for another shoe to drop in some way because, you know, restaurants are generally open. They might get shut down again, but they can, you know, these companies, they're companies, right? They can only operate on little to no to negative cash flow for so long. And, you know, I have apartments myself, right? And our tenants have still been paying, fortunately, you know, certainly very happy about that. But, you know, this thing is a cycle, right? And if things get worse, you know, we don't know what's going to happen, who long, who knows how long these eviction moratoriums are going to get extended. And, you know, it's, um, I, I do wonder, you know, if we're going to, if we're going to, maybe a year from now, look back and say, how did we not see it? Whatever it was, how do we not know at the time what was going to happen? Whether what was going to happen is hyperinflation because the Fed is printing so much money or whether it was Great Recession 2.0. I kind of doubt Great Recession 2.0 because there's so much money being pumped into the institutions, but who knows? I don't know. I can't predict the future. Yeah, no. And yeah, you make a great point because, you know, the 2008 left scars, at least for us older guys, you know, because all the things we say, hey, baby boomers, it's they're retiring, all this great stuff. It could never happen. And then you see values cut in half, things that I never thought would happen and they happened. And so, but it leaves scars in that, you know, maybe people your age, like if, if you're really into it, all you've known is this, <laughs> right? right? Like, and I forget yeah. that you guys don't have those scars, you know, <laughs> like what, of course, yeah. everything just goes up 10% every year. What? I don't get it. Like I, I started hearing guys say that when I was out on the street a little bit and I, I call one of my old time buddies. I'm like, holy cow, it's time again. But now this was four years ago. So it's like, like when you say next year, I said, this is, oh, it's going to pop again. And then I miss, you know, maybe something and it's up and up and up. So I, I just go back to Ray Dalio. You know, I think the Fed isn't letting market forces work because it's too painful. You know, and how does it end? Is it like the 30s? His stuff is fascinating. I don't know if you follow him or read any of his stuff. A bit, yeah. But yeah, he goes back and looks at cycles, like 100-year cycles, you know, the mini cycles and the, the macro, the larger debt cycles. And 
you know, you start talking about a 1920s, 1930s type event when this all happened, the roaring 20 before that, right? These are the equipped, could be the equivalent of that. But you think we can't make the same mistake again. And then we just, I think Congress just approved what $1.5 trillion yesterday, and that still won't keep the government open. So you're right. I just, uh, I don't have, you know, my, my 2008 scars are still there, but I just, I don't, I don't know when it's going to come when that other shoe, we keep saying the shoe will drop, but, uh, you got to keep going, you know, keep doing deals, keep, you know, hedge the most as most as you can. But the most important thing is you still got to get in the game. You know, yeah. like if, if, if fear cripples you and, 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 and I missed some deals because of my 2008 scars and I had to really get my head straight and say, look, we're in this game and whatever happens, we have hedges and, you know, you just have to jump back in the game and crank. And especially us as transactional, sometimes uh, a shock really helps us because people that were on the fence on the fence and they have a shock or they can't make their more or whatever's happening, it forces them into activity and we're activity guys, we're friction, right? So that's, that helps our business. There's always, there's always money to be made. And I think in, in, when you're saying this and, and the scars and the opportunities that um, you may have missed at that time, think back about a recent interview to the listeners out there. If you haven't listened to it, um, the interview with Sakar Cowley, he was buying at the time, I think it was 2009, 2010 range. He was buying 10, up to 10 properties a month. And he's a busy professional. He kept working for a few years, just uh, burying those properties, renovating, rehabbing them and, you know, um, refinancing them. And the reality is that that, that kind of turmoil, it causes a lot of pain. And it also causes a lot of wealth transfer and a lot of potential opportunity for guys like Sakar um, who are going to jump on it. I mean, my, my experience with the great recession that I don't really talk about much cause I, it's, I don't think it's that unique was again, being in college, I come from a very fortunate background, right? But, um, my parents are busy professionals and I watched them, you know, my dad especially struggle to keep their jobs. Right. And they were putting me through college again. I'm super fortunate, but he was working, I don't know, shoot hundred plus hours a week because wow. the company started doing the the Jack Welch GE thing, right? Where everybody's on a team of 10 and every quarter we go and we cut the bottom two guys. <laughs> right. He was never in the bottom two, but that is an incredible amount of stress and just a horrible way to treat employees. And again, this is why I'm here in this real estate investing space because I watched that happen, right? I watched him struggle to keep, you know, keep their house and keep employed and keep putting me through college and prepare for my sister to go to college. So, you know, there are still, I think there are lessons to be learned all around money to be made. So, you know, I wanted to put that out there, but on that happy note right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. All right, Terry, I've got three questions. I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? Well, the best investment I ever made was actually a result of the scars that we spoke about a moment ago, which we'll talk about, I'm sure, here shortly. But uh, it was a cash flowing property in Southwest Florida. You know, uh, on, when you get burned on speculation, you learn lessons the hard way about cash. Uh, and you guys are multifamily syndicators, you know, cash flow. So we bought a property in, uh, in Southwest Florida, a little town called Punta Gorda. And it was a mixed use. So it was commercial and residential. So we had my real estate business, my wife's yoga business. We lived there. So we had three cash flows that were out coming into that LLC. And it's a beautiful place right by, uh, right by the harbor. We loved being there. We loved the business. And that would have never happened. 
and we sold it did, did great on the deal when we left and came to Orlando, but that would have never happened if it weren't for the next question that you're about to ask. <laughs> <laughs> so as you've identified the guests know the questions ahead of time, I'm not springing anything on anybody. Terry, we're going to yeah. get to this second question here. What is the worst investment you ever made? Yeah. The, as we talked a little bit before the scars, right? So they, when things are defied logic, similar to what we're talking about now, and I was young in my first round of investments and was doing well, you know, flip, flipping properties, lots. I had the inside track as a broker and uh, had this nice waterfront. Remember, they're not making it anymore. All the things, right? You can't go. <laughs> and I bought this and we renovated. I flew my parents down from Cleveland, said, hey, we're going to flip this thing and just crush it. And we spec'd it out and luckily we did a short sale and that goes back to our other thing. Another lesson you learn is that uh, as long as you're in the game, there's always a way you're going to be okay. Right? So all those sleepless nights of, Oh my God, I have all this debt out there. I've got these properties I'm selling them up underwater, but we did a short sale and came out fine. And so that was another revelation that said, Hey, let's get back in. As long as you're doing with good intent, things are going to be okay. And however they work out. And that led to uh to my what ended up being our best investment, but that was the worst. And um, yeah, speculation versus cash flow. And I vowed at that moment, I'm not a speculator anymore. I'm more of a true investor. So things that I do have cash flow that I would have never stepped into if it wasn't for that worst investment. Wow. Great mm -hmm. lesson. My favorite yes. question here at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson that you've learned in business and investing? You know, the most important lesson is having been through that, the scars of 08 and the foreign guys that I work with now for over a decade is that like my, one of my mentors, Floyd Wickman, a real estate trainer says, they don't care what you know until they know that you care. Right. So even if you, when you're working with guys, your, your languages, your expertise, your skills, that's all great. But once they know they can trust you, and you're signing things on their LLC and they come over and the, the questions go away. It's kind of what are we doing together where the integrity part is no longer a question because they you have a relationship. And once you have that, then it's, hey, here, can you, I'm, I'm overseas. Can you handle my checkbook here? Can you pay this? Can you, you know, where it's more you're, you're with them. So that's the, the lesson I learned is that you've, you know, all the sales skills, all the knowledge, all the hustle is great. But uh you got to have that trust. And when you have it, you'll have it for decades and then there's no questions. And then the sky's the limit, you know, sky's the limit. And, and uh, yeah, that's, that's the most important question. I'm a transactional guy. So that was a hard one for me to learn. I'm like, I'm so, so smart. I can do all this stuff, but it doesn't matter until you had crossed that bridge and you have your people. And once you have that group, you're, you're set. You're set. That's more of a book of business or more than a sphere. It's, it's your, your guys and gals, you know, and that's, that's crucial. So that's the most important Nice. I love it. Well, Terry, thank you for joining us today. Uh, sounds like there's a great opportunity down there. And I think uh, I'm all for foreign investors investing in the US. So appreciate learning all these lessons today. If folks want to reach out, if they want to get in touch with you, if they want to learn more, where can they find you? Yeah, of course, on, on BuckeyeRealty.com. And we'll have a sub page set up for this podcast just to talk specifically about it at taylor.buckeyerealty.com. So go there directly and we can break down these specific things that we're talking about. And uh, yeah, just check us out. Love the chat. 
Awesome. Well, thanks once again for joining us today. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It's very much appreciated and helps other people learn about the show. If you know anyone who could use a little bit more passive wealth in their lives, please share the show with them and bring them into the tribe. We are also now live streaming on YouTube. So if you want to join the conversation live, look us up on YouTube. Give us a subscription, hit the notification bell and all that great stuff that all the the YouTubers say. And uh, we look forward to seeing you on a future live stream. Thanks once again for joining us. I hope you have a great rest of your day and a great week. And we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.